The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program. This is Swartbox. Wall Street swings sharply lower in another volatile trading session as the US reports its first case of the Omicron variant. Crude prices rise as the market expects OPEC Plus to, to slow the supply of additional oil when they meet today amid fears the new variant will hurt demand. Turkey's finance minister quits after a little over a year of the job replaced by an Erdogan loyalist who's been vocal in his support for cutting rates. That's despite soaring inflation. And Asia-listed Apple suppliers dip after the tech giant reportedly tells component makers iPhone demand is slowing due to wait times. But HPE CEO Antonio Nero tells me there is light at the end of the chip crunch tunnel. We work with uh, pretty much every supplier you can imagine. And we have line of sight of what we see in the next six to nine months. It's not going to be easy, but I actually believe we're going to be in a much better shape after the summer of 2022. So let's catch up with the latest news then on this case in the United States. The country reporting its first case of the Omicron variant. Researchers in California detected the virus in a person who had traveled to South Africa. The patient was fully vaccinated, has mild symptoms and is self-isolating. The news had been widely anticipated by medical experts. We've been discussing this. this. We knew that it was just a matter of time before the first case of Omicron would be detected in the United States. And as you know, we know, I've been saying it, and my colleagues on the medical team and others have been saying it, we know what we need to do to protect people, get vaccinated if you're not already vaccinated, get boosted if you've been vaccinated for more than six months with an mRNA or two months with J&J, and all the other things we've been talking about, about getting your children vaccinated, masking in indoor congregate settings, Etc. The revelations around Omicron in the United States are causing a reversal for the Dow. We saw late session, uh, the index tanking uh, was actually trading up in the early part of the session, uh, around 500 odd points before reversing, uh, about 460 odd points in that final hour trade. You can see just how steep the fall away was. But uh, a lot of the, this new variant, a lot of Powell in the market, Powell still talking about inflation, and we've seen a much faster appreciation now for the markets in terms of when they're expecting the first interest rate hike. This uh, has come very quickly into the markets, but at the same time with the variant concerns potentially slowing the U.S. economy. So those dual factors causing a reversal. You can see it right across the boards from the Dow to the Nasdaq, 1.8% down. So twin themes here. Perhaps you would have seen one part of this market more supported, namely technology, if we were talking about a slower taper and a slower rate hike path on the back of this variant, but not the case as we talk about the central bank now being fairly hawkish in its commentary to the market. So 
Over the course of the trading week, we've lost about 2.5% so far on the Dow, which tells you about that narrative of twin themes here that investors are struggling to deal with. I want to take you to Treasury markets, and we saw a lot of movement too on these yields uh, falling away. 1.44 is where we're trading on that U.S. 10-year yield, but uh, the short end more supported because of that interest rate story. So it was a reversal there. And also at the 30-year, we saw some movement there, 1.77, where we traded. So real pullback uh, in uh, some of these uh, trades. The lowest level since January is what we saw on the 10-year bonds and uh, the 30-year, uh, low, actually lowest in, since January. So that was a real reversal. I want to take you to the, the uh, dollar reaction because don't forget, uh, dollar had been very much a one-way trade for most of this year as the market was taking stock of the rate story, thinking that the Fed might be more aggressive than some of the other central banks. And you can see morning session, dollar is supported versus the Japanese yen. It is giving back a little bit of territory though versus sterling and euro at this stage. The VIX, uh, this was another area of the market where we saw reaction, 14% spike, and you can see trading above 31. So the fear gauge is elevated. This is the highest level since the beginning of the year. A couple of stocks to show you in the travel and leisure sector. This was the really epicenter of the uh, variant sell-off in Europe when it first started across here as the market took stock of the early headlines around the southern, southern African variant. And you can see as uh, the US case was confirmed, American Airlines retreating nearly 8% delta, similar range across a lot of these big plays. Carnival, 7% down, 3.7% off Hilton. So it uh, was a very rough day for those stocks in the travel and leisure sector. Oil, uh, this has been another area we've watched very, very closely around the demand story. And we have uh, really given up those high ranges, as you can see. Uh, this is the trade is what we've got at this stage. Still 34% higher, but that does uh, tell you just how strong the run was even prior to the sell-off. But we are now back below $70 on Brent and we're at 66.38 on WTI. The Asian market's picking up on some of these themes, particularly Japanese stocks. You can see on the back of that Wall Street session, Japanese stocks are also facing Reading today. 180 plus points to the downside or a fall of just over six tenths of a percent. Offset with some green across those China markets. One of the big themes there has been the health of the property market. And we saw a fairly significant bond raising by a number of those big property developers in the China market. And that's been a positive catalyst for Hong Kong and also China. The Australian market retreating slightly uh, just drifting off about a tenth of a percent, Jeff. Karen, thank you very much indeed, uh, and very good morning. Good to have you back good around morning. the desk. Uh, let's talk about some of the data. The U.S. private sector added 534,000 jobs in November, according to the latest ADP report. That's down from a revised 570,000 jobs in October, but it is above the forecast 525,000 for the series. Elsewhere, factory activity picked up as the ISM manufacturing gauge rose to 61.1 in November from 60. Friday's non-farm payroll report is expected to confirm a pickup in employment. Economists polled by Reuters expect 550,000 jobs to have been added in November. That's up from 531,000 in October. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell were back on Capitol Hill for their second day of testimony on Wednesday, appearing before the House Financial Services Committee. Powell delivered a similar message to Tuesday's Senate hearing while warning that the risk risks of elevated inflation have risen, he stressed policy will continue to adapt to keep rising price pressures in check. Our recovery is really the, the farthest advanced of any of the largest ones. In terms of the 
the temporary nature of inflation, I would say that the inflation that we're seeing is still clearly connected to uh, the reop to pandemic-related factors. Um, I would also add, though, that it has spread more broadly in the economy, and I think that the risk of persistent higher inflation has clearly risen, and uh, I think that our policy has adapted to that and will continue to adapt. Jay Powell. Well, global growth is set to continue, but cost pressures associated with supply chain bottlenecks and renewed pandemic fears are contributing to imbalances in the near future, according to the OECD. In its latest outlook, the organization is predicting global growth will rise 5.6% this year and simmer down to over 3% by 2023, nearer to levels seen before the pandemic. The UK and France are expected to outpace global growth in 2021, while the German economy is seen lagging behind, dragging on the euro area. China's growth outlook comes in near the top end of the global averages at 8%. Uh, so let's talk about strategy and markets. Cole Smead joins us, President and Portfolio Manager of Smead Capital Management. Cole, good morning to you. Well, we've got a change in tone here now from Jay Powell. Now that he has the job for the next four years, it seems that we are removing this word transitory from the lexicon. How should we think about investing then on the basis of the Fed's new approach? It's a great question, Jeff. Uh, and by the way, the words he used were retiring transitory. Um, you know, when I was a, a, a real smug uh, kid, I would go to my parents and tell them that I'm retiring obedience. And I don't think that went well either with them. So I, this is a mea culpa. There's just no question about it. What Jay Powell's saying is I was wrong. And what that's going to do in terms of A, Fed policy, and then B, the value of assets, I, we don't think it's really understood. Um, you know, as you guys were talking about the tenure before this, in effect, people are buying the 10-year feeling insulated on the longer end of the curve. Um, but the reality is no asset will, will benefit from the cost of capital rising. And you can kind of see the same thing going on in certain U.S. equities. Most equities have kind of been punished the last couple of days. Um, and, and we could talk about the Omicron, but I, I really think it's people somewhat fearful of the Fed's pivot um, to being wrong. And you can see people buying quality blue chip businesses, kind of longer duration ideas like the tenure in Microsoft and Apple. And I think that looks just as foolish as buying the tenure right now. Well, it's our job to try and look through some of the near term challenges, obviously, like uh, Omicron. We're all in a bit of a holding pattern in terms of just how deadly this latest variant is and how transmissible. But Cole, as we look at the mm. uh, Treasury curve, as you've pointed out, that doesn't quite match up, does it, with this uh, renewed focus on inflation from the Federal Reserve? And we had great jobs data from the ADP survey. We had pretty good data around uh, manufacturing and industrial production out of the United States. Why did we see the uh, yield curve flatten further and the, uh, the short end of the curve drop six basis points? That, that doesn't match up at all with some of the other data we're seeing. Yeah, and it probably comes down to, Jeff, that people are just looking for somewhere to hide in the interim, not knowing what to do at all. Because, I mean, what we're dealing with, with uh, Powell you know, stating that he's wrong, is that we're completely out of the model of what investors expected. 
they've treated the Fed as though they were an omnipotent ship captain. And as long as the ship captain stewarded the ship, you were going to be fine, which was really nothing more than ultimate liquidity. And now that liquidity is going to be gone. The question is how quickly and how much. And I, I just don't think people know what that's going to be like. But to your point, Jeff, I mean, the inflationary pressures we're seeing, seeing we're seeing incredible inflationary pressures here in the United States. Um, just go look at the value of your car. That just never happened in your life. And you know, if we look at actual real yields, uh, we, we're going to watch real yields go from the most negative levels we've seen since like 1974 uh, to a meaningful real yield. And that's catastrophic for risk assets. Cole, this is a, a market that's trying to work out what happens next year, effectively uh, staring into 2022 and saying, well, we get the end of a taper, we get liftoff in rates. But a lot of the CEOs that we're talking to also believe that uh, 2022 will bring a, a healing in the supply chain. Doesn't that just take away some of the inflation pressures at the time that the Fed may be lifting off on rates? Well, if demand was at the same level we had in 2019, you can see how supply issues would alleviate themselves, and the caveat being alleviate themselves without pricing pressures. Okay, um, Supply chains will be healed, but it will come on the back of higher prices up and down the supply chain. In other words, with the aggregate demand we're seeing uh, you know, on the buyer side of things, the supply chains will get fixed because of higher prices across. In other words, if you want to increase the capacity of the supply chain, you have to grow it by paying more. There's got to be a margin to grow the total economy and the supply chain. And so I, I, I don't disagree that some of that will heal itself. The question is, at what price? Um, it's just like, I mean, right now, Karen, if you want to get a car, you can get a car. It's just at what price? And so it, with, with, I think the most interesting dynamic that's come out of this is, A, most people, I mean, I, I'm 37 People have never seen this stuff in my life. Um, boomers saw it when they were young. I mean, they were in their 20s. Um, they really haven't seen it since then in a meaningful way, thanks to Paul Volcker. So the question is, what response will we see out of this? And in many ways, some of the most cyclical, tangible assets globally couldn't look more attractive because the pricing pressures are, are causing tangible things like cars, like homes to become so much more valuable because it takes time to make them. So, Cole, when you take a look at various sectors, uh, we've seen short term the market is uh, revisiting banks. They're taking another look over technology, make concerns about the interest rate environment, yeah. and they're also selling off in the airline sector around this variant concern. What do you do with these various sectors? Do you see any appeal in any of these areas? Yeah, so, I mean, we don't own airlines. It's, it's a tough business. It, you know, it's probably going to be better than it looks right now. Um, I, I, we really look at the stock market as kind of a lagging indicator today. In other words, the, the stock market's not really telling you what's happening 12 to 24 months out right now. It's really telling you what, what just happened, what the Fed liquidity was, et cetera. And in comparison, you could go into sectors like the energy business, and, and, and we love the energy business today. Our, our largest holding, as an example, is Continental Resources. And what you can buy right now with what's likely to come in the next 12 to 24 months in that industry is incredible. Are, are there overhangs? Yeah, you have to look straight through what's going on with whatever wave comes over the next two years. You have to look straight through an ESG world and kind of the idea of rapid change. And what you're really betting on is the strength of that demand we talked about. You're talking about the strength of, of um, pricing. And you're also talking about a scarcity of supply. People just aren't uh, drilling new wells. 
And, and we think that looks incredible. And you, you're, like I said, you're watching the lagging effects. Oil comes down, you're getting cheap prices, but that doesn't tell you where things are going to be in two years. Markets are there to serve, not to instruct. And I think that's what investors with their omnipotent ship captain, Jay Powell, have got very comfortable with is that they think the markets tell them something about the future. And that is a falsehood. Oh, excuse me, Cole. In some ways, the energy basket goes into the whole sin stock portfolio these days. Uh, we've seen this huge conversation on ESG of the transition around energy. And yeah. some investors say we simply do not want to be in that space. Could you also be doing a pivot down the track if investors change their mindset about uh, what they really want to be holding at this stage? It's a great question. And, and I, I would point you, Karen, to Neil Ferguson's newest book, Doom, where he goes through a history of pandemics and volcano eruptions and all kinds of tragedy, um, you know, looking back 2000 plus years uh, back, you know, back even to the Greeks. And we do a terrible job of predicting tragedies and, and problems. And it just so happens that climate change is going to be the first big problem we ever predict correctly. The only problem with that is we as humans and as, as cultures, we have no track record of doing that. So the question is, I would say, how quick? If it's right, how quick will it be? And the market's pricing in like a 10 to 20 year picture on these assets. Um, just to give you some quick numbers, let's say, let, let's say in 30 years, oil and gas or hydrocarbons are only 50% versus 80% market share today. The, the global economy will have probably grown 4% a year. And if you kind of do the math on that, that means oil will still double or hydrocarbons will double in 30 years but be a much smaller percentage of the market share, okay? That's the kind of math we're probably looking at. And to your point, the politic, the body politic does not believe that. But look at the price of, uh, of electricity, look at the price of natural gas, who is right right now? Uh, the body politic is way behind the curve on that as well, just like Jay Powell is on rates. Cole, I don't know whether you've done your, your Christmas shopping yet, but, but what I think is really interesting, and maybe that tells us something about consumer behavior among uh, the millennial and Jed Z generations, is that the, um, uh, the retail, the S&P retail ETF, XRT, is uh, down 9% in a week. If you look at some of the major retailers like Nordstrom, I mean, it's 56% off its all-time high. There are a lot of big declines among the retailers here, and it seems to me that um, perhaps those declines are more meaningful than just the reaction to Omicron. I mean, is it possible that the, uh, uh, the sub-37 generations are refusing to pay the higher prices that the retailers are asking right now to make up for some of their losses over the last two years? Well, you know, I mean, if you look at those stocks from the bottom, they, they screamed coming out of the lockdowns and have done really well. So it's not shocking to see them do poorly after having such a good run. What we're seeing, Christmas season normally starts, you know, roughly around Thanksgiving here. Christmas started in late October here in America, which is a very odd thing. We, you can see how elongated this Christmas season is. Now, what that really, I think, is going to translate in doing, retail is stealing more sales than people would have thought in 2021. If you go look at the Cyber, the Cyber Monday numbers, uh, Cyber Monday grew 30% uh, year over year in 2020, and it only grew 10% year over year in 21, which means we peaked online growth from a growth perspective. It's, we've reached peak growth in that. In other words, it will continue to grow, but
but th- there's diminishing marginal gains for that. And I, I think that's what we're really seeing in retail. We own a couple of the mall REITs like Simon Macerich, and um, we see fabulous activity, fabulous traffic, and uh, we see much better tenants showing up to sign leases. Cole, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cole Smead, President and Portfolio Thank Manager you. of Smead Capital Management. U.S. Congress is rushing to pass a short-term spending bill amid the rising risk of another government shutdown. Democrats are looking to extend the current funding into January, but congressional Republicans are threatening to not support the bill in protest over President Biden's plan to require mandatory vaccines for private employers. Conservatives in the Senate have demanded a vote on a measure to block federal funding for the initiative ahead of the deadline on Friday. Coming up on the show, we'll bring you the latest as Europe grapples with the Omicron variant and plenty more, Jeff, as we talk about uh, other challenges. Yeah, don't forget to catch up with the podcast. Uh, We'll be talking uh, in the podcast about the U.S. economy as the U.S. confirms its first Omicron case. Uh, You can find the Squawk Box podcast uh, where you get all top quality podcasts and audio. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Germany's outgoing government will meet with state leaders today to thrash out new coronavirus restrictions. Incoming Chancellor Olaf Scholz wants to treat anyone without a booster jab as unvaccinated, according to The Telegraph. Under proposed plans, the unvaccinated would only have access to essential shops and be prohibited from gathering with other households. Those who are vaccinated will lose that status after six months. Dentists and pharmacies are being enlisted to help give out doses to speed up the rollout. Germany recorded its highest daily death toll in nine months at 446. Over in France, entry rules from outside the European Union will be tightened, with flights from southern Africa suspended until Saturday. All other non-EU arrivals will have to show proof of a negative COVID test, regardless of their vaccine status. The country is accelerating its booster campaign, with hopes that another 10 million jabs will have been carried out by the end of the week. Omicron is fast becoming the dominant variant in South Africa, the first country to report its existence. The country's National Institute for Communicable Diseases says it is seeing a, quote, exponential increase in infections with 74% of virus genomes sequenced in the last month belonging to the new variant. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has branded Africa-focused travel restrictions as racist, saying they punish a region disadvantaged by vaccine inequality. We have the instruments to have safe travel. Let's use those instruments to avoid this kind of, uh, uh, allow me to say, travel apartheid, uh, which I think is uh, unacceptable. What is unacceptable is to have one part of the world that is one of the most vulnerable parts of the world economy condemned to a lockout when they were the ones that revealed the existence of a new variant that, by the way, already existed in other parts of the world, including in Europe. 
as we know. So this is a very strong appeal that I launch, appeal to common sense. Uh, for more on how we try and keep everybody safe and what approach we all should take, don't miss our exclusive interview later on in the programme with the WTO Director General Ngozi Okonja Iwila. That'll be 9.45 Central European time. At the uh, Conference de Paris, Zenofi's uh, Olivier Chamel told CNBC the healthcare sector should be wary of fostering inequality. This is going to be uh, a very efficient system, very equitable, uh, meaning that uh, uh, there is a threat uh, that digital, if we don't pay too much attention, could create you know, additional inequalities. But I think we should look at it as an opportunity uh, uh, to drive the efficiency of the system. That's the first element. The second element is that what we have learned from uh, the, the COVID is that we shouldn't look at healthcare as an expenses. It's really an investment. And we should really look at what uh, the digital uh, health investments that we are going to make through these lenses. Also at the same conference, Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School, Ativ Merotra, reiterated the same concerns. I also want to emphasize that when we think about this new digital health future, the excitement, what do people say? We can have a future where everyone can access care. I also think we should be also realistic that the digital health future could actually make some of our existing problems in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world of disparities, where the rich get more care, um, the rural communities get less care. Those disparities, instead of shrinking because of digital health, could it be exacerbated because many of those communities do not have the necessary technology or the ability to use them. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.